So I wanted to share those things so that other people could skip a couple steps. Because while I feel like I've learned a lot in a short period, as far as my career standpoint, I've always tried to make, you know, sort of the journey for others that are coming up behind me just a little bit simpler, a little bit easier. And I felt like if I could put it on paper, I could get there. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, we have my friend James Ferguson, leader, speaker, author, podcaster, and he is the author of the new book, The Confetti Culture Playbook. James, I appreciate you being here on the show with us today. Thanks, man. Throw some confetti at that, right? Oh, you know, for, I the listeners, for the listeners. Yeah, I wish, the yeah I wish you could see it. Yeah, He's got the confetti. He's ready to go. So, James, we always start the show with our first question. How did you get started in this beautiful industry of ours? How did you get started in hospitality? It's a great question. Well, you know, look, growing up, I was always, you know, a people person, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid. So I was always able to build relationships with people very quickly and, and have people feel comfortable with me and around me uh, and vice versa. So, you know, as I was kind of figuring things out as a young adult, um, I decided to look beyond retail, which is where I was at at the time as a young man. And, um, I wound up getting a, a hotel job and it was perfect because at the time I was going to college. So I was able to go to school in the morning, eight to two, and then go work the front desk from three to 11, where, you know, if I was working retail, some places close at nine. So mm -hmm. you're not able to capture as much, you know, hourly wages at that time. So it was a perfect fit to start. And then as soon as I got involved at the front desk, it was a Wyndham property. I realized that this was for me and that this particular hotel needed my support. And um, I don't know about you, but, as a young man who was still figuring it out to put on a suit and look good every day, yeah. really started to change my perspective on what was possible, you know, potential wise for me and what was ahead. So definitely a switch and a pivot in my life as far as where I headed after that, which was so exciting. Were you going to school for hospitality? Is that why you got into going to the hotel? No, it was really at the time it was based on, so two things, one, again, more hours, which was key. Yep. bills to pay but then the other side was actually that my dad so he's in uh building and constructing and he was working at a hotel uh in traverse city um and he uh was like i'm around these guys every day i see this being something that you could be really good at why don't you start to look at hotels and it wasn't even my radar at that age or that time 
Um, and so I started to look. And then again, like I said, as soon as I got in there and started to do the guest experience, which was already part of customer service and retail in my experience, it just really clicked and, and made sense. And, and again, from there, I've been very fortunate to have found success uh, pretty quickly throughout my career. And what, what city were you in? Where was this Wyndham? So that was in Exton, PA, um, which is suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, and that was right down the street from my house. So again, being, it was about three miles from where I was going to school, three miles from my house. So like, you know, even though it was a very tight, you know, wake up, go to school, go get changed, go to work. Uh, and then my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, go see her at, mm-hmm. you know, 1130 at night. And he just, that's, that was life. And I think that too taught me that like, you know, cause the industry expects a lot out of you. You want to serve your guests and, and put the time and effort in for that. And I think being so busy at that young age, it showed me what it took to continue that growth. And it was just a good experience. And, and I wasn't going to school for it. Uh, I just have a, a degree in business administration, uh, but I knew that it was where I was headed. So when you got there, your first kind of shift, do you remember your first day at the job of walking into a hotel? Cause it can be intimidating at that front desk. You are that point of contact for people from around the world checking in. Do you remember what that was like? Sure. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, based on my experience in retail and, and even like fast food when I was really young, well, you know, go back to that one. we're going to go back then. Where was your oh, first man. real job then? So where were you in fast food? Fast food. I think I worked at McDonald's. Then it was office depot as far as uh, retail. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, especially at McDonald's, I mean, that, that's a hard job, even for a, you know, 15 year old, 16 year old kid. It's a lot of demand during lunchtime. And, um, you know, so again, that, that experience as a younger kid going through some of that definitely helped. But I was, like I said, I was already ready to build relationships with people on a whim very quickly. And so once I got to do that, you know, and, and I've, I've learned, and I'm sure you you know this too, is it can be overwhelming if you see a line of people, right? There, and, and some hotels, and I've worked at a bunch, that you'll have 40 people in line waiting. Right. Um, and sometimes it's three, but the key is to focus on the one that's in front of you. And when you do that, you're able to build a relationship and put the time in to make sure that they come back. Where if you see the line, you're going to do everything fast. You're going to do everything wrong. Mistakes are going to happen. and It's going to get flustering. And so throughout my career, as I grew within the front desk, I always taught people that. It's like focus on who's right in front of you. Have that conversation. Get to know them, why they're here, what they're doing. And when you do it that way, you're going to build the relationships that matter and make a difference long term. That's great. So you're at the, you're at the front desk. You're starting to go through school. Mm-hmm. When do you start to kind of get into that leadership role? What was the, when was that first one? That it was had? actually pretty quick, and it was at that hotel. So, um, you know, the the front desk was in need there. Um, we had a, a decent support system, a lot of people that were there for a long time, um, but there was definitely some leadership support needed. And so they actually promoted me to be uh, assistant front office manager uh, at that same property. And like anybody that kind of transitions into that role, especially if there's people that have been there for a long time. To be the young kid that just showed up and got it, there was definitely some conflict. Sort of, people were just unexpecting it for, for it to be me, but I knew that I was the right person. They did too, obviously. Um, but it was one of those learning opportunities where I was still young and I was withholding information to make sure that I was worth uh, or added value. And, you know, a lot of people didn't respect me because they'd been there for three years and there was this young kid. So all of those experiences in one really helped me to like navigate that. And learn very quickly within my career uh, in in hospitality that, you know, you can't withhold information. You have to give it away, right? It's just like my book. I gave it to you. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people are buying it, but, you know, there's certain people that it makes sense to give to because I know it's going to add value to you. Um, Where before, again, I would would have a flash drive full of information that, you know, if you needed something, you call me. 
And now you learn as you, through your career, like you want to empower people to make decisions. You don't want to be holding stuff where they have to call you at eight at night because they don't have the tools to be successful. So again, having that happen very quickly in my career helped me to learn quickly and then adjust as I kept growing. Um, so going back to that first one, was mm -hmm. that something you applied for? Because you were probably still in college at that time, right? Or were you just out of school? Yeah, I was, I was kind of like at the tail end of college. Um, so did you apply point. or did someone ask you to do it and say, hey, you've got the talent, James, we need you to do it? Or were you just the, the hustler? It was said, more I, I that. This. It was definitely more that. I think they saw the value that I was bringing. I was constantly asking to help more. Uh, again, I saw the need that the, the support was needed. Um, and there was some health issues with the front office manager at the time. So like, you know, we obviously wanted to make sure she felt better and things like that. So adding that support would be good. Um, and look, it's just like anybody, you know, for those who are listening, like in order to find success in anything you do, whether it's here in hospitality or anything, you really have to have an all in attitude, you know, to, to get what you want. Um, and so I was just putting in the effort, asking questions, trying to learn more about the industry and how that, that property operated so that I could really start to add value to the team that I was on and then beyond. But from there I, I went to, uh, to Limeridian in center city, Philadelphia, which was like a whole new world. Right. Cause you're in the uh, suburbs almost. Right. And then you hit yep. really a, a luxury hotel in the middle of the city. So what was that like? That was, that was great. I had so much fun. I mean, the only thing that was kind of a drag was just the commute because being someone who lived here in the suburbs and had to go there, you know, working 12, 14 hour days, plus, you know, almost two hours and travel on each end. It was a lot. On each but, end? Wow. Yeah. Almost just with driving and taking the train. So, mm -hmm. but I think what was great is I went from being at like a two and a half star property to being at a four, almost five, if we had a little, a few more amenities, uh, property. So it was like the service level, the amount of staff we had, the amount of expectations we had, the demand. I mean, every Monday we had 150 people showing up for arrival. So it was like, and, and a lot of times it was, you know, 30 at a time. Um, so it was really just an amazing flip of the switch to really teach me what else is out there. Um, and going kind of back to what I said before, um, you know, putting on a suit as a young man and, and starting to feel like I'm somebody going to that property really enhanced my, um, belief in myself and sort of what I could handle. Cause, cause you know, handling the front desk at Wyndham in Exton and handling the front desk at Le Meridian in center city, totally different situation. Yes. Um, and, and then at that time in my career, um, and I, and I talk about it in my book, you know, at that point I was still learning, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the best manager. And so I was still learning to lead. Uh, and I had a great assistant GM there and a great front office manager and a great night manager that we really became bonded and learned from each other and, and became tightened in. I still talk to those people now. So it's, it was such a great experience to sort of see what was possible in hospitality. And the only reason I actually left there, because I would not have, was I was about to propose to my wife. Mm -hmm. And I said, I can't work 14 hours and travel four hours every day while also committing the rest of my life to this woman. So uh, I wound up looking for another job uh, closer to home. And amazingly, I got one, which was just down the street from me, which was back here uh, in the suburbs, which was Westchester, Pennsylvania. Uh, and that sort of leads me into the Dates Hotel. So back to Wyndham, different mm -hmm. property, right? Which was great. You know, I got to I got to learn a lot there. You know, it was really trial by fire. You know, getting your hands dirty, learning every department. So where my first two opportunities were sort of like you're you're doing this, and that's all you have to focus on. Where don't get me wrong, limited, and I was up cleaning rooms too, right? right? You have you have those nights. 
but um but how'd you feel because you were at an, a luxury property in the heart sure. of the city and transitioning yep. back you get used to a lot of the things you have at these ultra luxury hotels because i've made some of those changes not sure. as drastic what was that like for you when you got back because now hey big timer from the big city coming back to the suburbs trying to bring some of those ideas yeah i think I, like? I definitely brought some of the ideas but it was like a slowdown right so you you go from bang 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 and just becoming very quick on your feet to slowing down and being able to make sometimes maybe the right decision instead of the one you have to make and so that transition was good because again you know at that particular property i was supporting a lot more than just the front desk which is what i was hired to do but right. that allowed me to learn more and grow more within that property itself so um, it was a great chance for me to do that. I learned housekeeping. I learned food and beverage. I was, and at the tail end of that opportunity there, I was covering the front. I had front, I was basically front office manager, housekeeping manager, uh, food and beverage director. So I, you know, I would start at the desk, then go inspect rooms. Then I would be going setting up events. It, it got crazy. Uh, and I didn't even actually leave because of any of that, that, that actually really helped that very quick, fast paced. Uh, environment uh, as far as being needed everywhere really taught me a lot in a very short time. Uh, and the only reason I left was because my wife got a job in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so it was either she commutes a heck of a long way, or maybe we actually just moved there. And that leads into um, the Reeds at Shelter Haven, right. which is a property down in Stone Harbor, New Jersey. Uh, and what kind of hotel is property. that like? What is that like? So, you know, one of the things I learned, uh, you know, that hotel, um, the Days Hotel property was, you know, I think it was 141 rooms, if I remember correctly. And the um, the reads at the time was 37. So, you know, you think in your head before you get this job that, oh my God, if I can do that, this is going to be easy. But if you know as much as I do in that regard, and I'm sure a lot of you listeners are, are thinking the same thing, it is the same operation, the same stress level, the same expectations, if not more, especially since it was a four-star property, than it is regardless of the size of rooms you're overseeing. And, um, you know, with that property, it was amazing. I mean, that they really uh, have capitalized on, on the opportunity that that city and they really brought it to life year round, which it's a very seasonal city. Um, and they've done nothing but grow since I was there. Uh, but it was just, it just really well run. It had great leadership. They were doing everything the right way. And it really allowed me to grow and learn, you know, again, back to that four star level. Right. Um, but like I said, it, it was operationally, there was challenges because it was a small property but we had big expectations. So we had an offsite laundry facility. We had, you know, storage offsite across the street and down the, down the street. Um, our valet was, you know, around the block and around the corner. So, and there was only like certain one ways to drive. So it, there was a lot of challenges, but, but again, like any challenge, there's an opportunity there and it allowed me to grow and, and really exceed my own expectations for what I could do and, yep. and learn and, Heck, that's an award-winning hotel, right? So the Reeds is a sure. you know, Condé Nast, awards-winning hotel, luxury yep. hotel. You might hear 37 rooms, but to keep that level of service with a small, lean team, right? Yep. And yep. everything off-site is a big challenge. So I, I love that you've had all these different experiences right at the beginning of your career, right? So yeah, it was smaller great, suburbs, sure. big city mm -hmm. luxury, kind of back out the suburbs nice, but then ultra-luxury boutique. Yeah. And then you make this interesting jump, which I'm excited to learn about to the salt hotels. So tell me yep, about that. So that, property, just, yeah. that property is the Asbury, Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is a super music centric town. The property, I mean, it was the most fun job I've ever had. So they come um, find you they, or you find them? 
So what's great is that, you know, again, going back to building relationships, which is what this is all about internally and with your guests, someone that had worked at the Reeds in the past had now worked at the Asbury. And when they went down there for their retreat, they'd heard about my name and heard that I had unfortunately been um, laid off because again, it was a super seasonal property. So going kind of going back to the Reeds, got laid off there. They were still building and growing. So they had just opened a pizza shop. They had a, a ice cream shop. They had the hotel itself and they were building a spa with more rooms. So now they have all those things and a spa and they're at 52 rooms. So it was kind of at that position from a business standpoint, which obviously in the moment it hurt, but you know, what you, you understand from an operational standpoint, from a business standpoint that they had to cut ties with a certain amount of people due to the seasonality and the growth of the company soon. Um, So part of ways with them. So they were coming down to do their retreat at the Reeds, heard about my name, said, wow, this is a very high end property. They're obviously, operating efficiently let's reach out to him and see if he's looking what's he's doing what he's doing what's his story so he reached out to me i wasn't even looking north jersey at all like not even on my radar Uh, i was even actually contemplating coming back to to pa and um and he says hey why don't you come to the property meet the team see if it feels right no pressure but if it does it's great you know it's a it's a growing community uh asbury park's really coming back and uh it's a great property i think you'd like it so i come out there and it was like you could just tell that it was going to be home, you know, from there, we had 110 rooms. We had 4,000 square, you know, square feet of event space. We had a rooftop bar, a rooftop movie theater, um, attached was, uh, shortly after I was there, we opened up the Asbury lanes, um, which is a music venue and a bowling alley, which I helped oversee, um, for some time. So it was just a lot of fun. There was a lot of music and we were fortunate. There's a lot of celebrities that came in just because of the music centric, uh, area we were in. And um, yeah, it was a great time. And then, you know, as I continue to grow with within that organization, COVID hit. And then yes. it was sort of like, all right, well, from there, yeah. what do we do? And, and they had to condense a lot. We had three properties because the Asbury Lanes was separate, even though it was connected to our property. Yeah, so when you were there, you started Asbury Ocean Club. Yeah. yeah. So you started as assistant general manager there, right? So yeah, and then good role. Then you got promoted to GM. So I always love hearing this part, right? So mm-hmm. as hoteliers, we all strive to be a GM. I didn't get to that role, even though I wrote that goal down. I have this journal where I wrote down I'm sure. a GM yeah. of iconic Miami Beach Resort. And like you said, pandemic kind of changes the way you look at a lot of stuff. Everything. Yeah. But you got there and you were doing it for probably like six, seven months before it started. What was it like when you finally got to that role at this kind of property? Well, I do want to share this. So I was actually a GM of that day's hotel property. But the reason that my resume says AGM, and this is just sort of about me, Uh, as a person is I'm always looking to grow and improve. And at that time, going back to sort of the struggles I shared about that property, um, I knew that I wasn't delivering on GM expectations. I was doing the job, but I knew that if I went and tried to get another GM job, even though on paper it says that I was, I wouldn't be able to deliver on those expectations. And so I, to this day, even though I have the name tag that says GM, my, my name as a GM was in every room. Um, I do not put it on there because I don't believe that I deserve the title. So I did already have it, but I knew that I was very self-aware that I didn't deserve it. And so for that reason, I left it as is. So anyway, um, so, you know, growing within Asbury was a great experience. I think the one thing that I've learned, and I don't know how much independent uh, experience you have versus, you know, having a flagged uh, support is that you really have to fill the gaps. And, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, no matter what your, your role is, no matter what, uh, property you work at. 
but there I was really able to experiment with things where when you have, you know, with your Wyndham, Marriott, whoever, they give you the book, right? They say, this is what you're supposed yep. to do, how to do it and why. Um, and while I had that experience in the past, here I was able to kind of try some, try some new things. And that is where my growth came is because they really saw the extra effort. I was supporting well beyond um, what I was you know, needing to do at the time. And, and they just saw the value in me. And, and as other people grew, we all kind of grew. And a lot of people got to be promoted, which was you know, an amazing thing. You always want people you know, that are supporting you to be uh, promoted as well, which is great. Yeah, it was great because Salt opened down here. I, I got to see what they're doing. They opened in Miami. I didn't get to see much because right when pandemic hit, everything kind of like just shut down. So I know. Yeah, they did just open up there. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, I think everybody's sort of bouncing back at this point and, and everyone had sort of plans for the future. And a lot of it's been paused. But um, I do find that a lot of hotels that were, you know, breaking ground are finally doing so. And, and or if they're doing takeovers and acquisitions, it's finally happening. So I, that's one thing I love to see on LinkedIn is you constantly are seeing so much more opportunity happening within the industry, which is great, whether it's hiring new people or new acquisitions or companies acquiring others. And um, I think our industry within the next, you know, 18 months is definitely going right. to get back to what we're used to, which is great. So as GM of that hotel, right, you had to lead them into one of the toughest times. What do you recall mm. just kind of learning from that? Cause that was a hard time for anyone and you were in it at the hardest. Yeah. You know what, I, you know, I gotta, and I, I do this with any leadership role, right? You gotta lean on your team. Um, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of support system conversations. Um, you know, I don't think any one person does it alone. Uh, and we kind of just had to navigate it and pivot as we learned. You know, obviously we all got hit over the head with it and had to let staff go and all those kind of steps that we all took. Um, we were very fortunate that we, we kept on a bunch of people and were able to do some of those things that you couldn't do when you were operating because you're just so busy. Mm -hmm. um, whether it was organizational or cleaning or PMing rooms or whatever. So, so we began to put things into place to ensure that we were delivering something every week from each department that was still with us. And even if they weren't from that department, sometimes just because we were able to keep them on, we would ask them to support in different areas because we're all kind of just doing everything. And um, one of the things that I want to make sure of, though, is that we kept the consistency. Um, so we continue to have huddle. We continue to meet every day and talk about things and what we're going to support they delivered a, you know, we had a Google doc that everyone would write in what they did that week so that we could provide that to ownership. So they knew that there was added value continually happening. And then, you know, I talk about fun is a fundamental part of learning in my book. And uh, one of the things we did was we had the Asbury Olympics um, during that time. Like one other time are you gonna have a, the doors closed at your hotel and have all that space to have some fun. And so uh, we really made, you know, had some fun with that one, one of the days. Uh, towards towards the warmer weather of it. And, um, you know, it's just good to have the team come together, have some fun and have some, you know, friendly competition. We did everything from, you know, ping pong to um, tissue, pulling out tissues to, to all kinds of stuff. I mean, we did uh, like Jenga and we did a an icy like freeze challenge where they had to, whoever finished it first. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just, there was just so many things. Yeah, keep them going. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's important as a leader, regardless of the time, whether it's COVID or not, is to try and break up the monotony and have some fun with your team. Right. So they have things to look forward to. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely challenging. It was definitely hard, but the team was amazing through that process. They were very supportive and ready to do whatever it took to, to get through it. And, uh, and, but it, it just, it was just too challenging. I mean, I think we, as we expected to get to, to July 4th and, and start to see some business come in. It just wasn't there at that moment. Right. So yep. the restrictions were still too tight. And uh, like I said, we had a lot of properties 
uh, you know, from a complex standpoint, and it just didn't make sense to keep me on. So at that point, I was um, let go, and I kind of want to connect the two. Yeah, that's what I was asking um, next. Those... I see it kind of connects to what you're doing now. So right. So you know, one of the things that happened uh, when I got let go at the Reeds was, um, you know, obviously, and, and I don't know how many layoffs you've had in your career, but anybody that's listening, you know, we all know that that hurts. And especially that first, that first one stings because you don't know why it happened. You start to second guess yourself. Um, you start to wonder if it, it was because of you or if it's because of the business, which obviously I, I have a clear view on now. Uh, but anyway, through that process, I said, how do I prepare myself best for the next gig? How am I going to be able to walk into a hotel and not be down in the dumps, but ready and, and proactively prepare for that? And the best way I thought was to create a playbook. And what I mean by that is I basically said, what are the things I'm going to do when I walk in? What are the, the, the consistencies that I'm going to put into place uh, to ensure that the structure is needed for my team wherever I land? And so um, from so that is, process- This is you at home, right? This is you- This is me at home on the couch being home. like- You're just thinking, Sick of right? watching these stupid shows. Let's get productive. So I've right. always been the type of person that reads a lot. Um, and so through that process of leading leadership, reading uh, leadership books and- um, just keeping my mind sharp that way and going to the gym every day. I said, what else proactively can I do to prepare myself? And so I created this playbook. Um, it's a, uh, you know, it's just a binder with a bunch of sleeves in it with all kinds of stuff from how to run a huddle, what to say, what to do, um, what team building things I could throw in each day. You know, what are the operational things that I found success with in my career? So I don't forget them because, you know, anytime away from anything, you start to lose it. Right. right. I always say practice provides poise. So I wanted to continue to practice what I was good at so that I was really sharp when I got to it. And so that was in 2016, fast forward to 2020, I said, all right, well, I made this playbook for me and it worked. I was very well prepared for that next gig. So how do I use what I learned through that process and prepare other people in the future? Uh, and so what I did was I said, all right, I wanna write a book. You know, it's been on my vision board since 2016 to write my own book. I tried to start doing it when I was first laid off, but I just didn't have enough experience to deliver something of value. So was so, it at the reads when you started thinking about it? You're saying? So yeah. Yep. So when I got laid off there, I said, all right, well, I'm creating this playbook for myself. Could this become a book? Right. But again, I just didn't have enough to do it. And then, like I said, I had it on my vision board. So it was a goal of mine, but I had to really work towards that. And I just, you know, year after year, it just isn't a priority. So it just doesn't happen like anything. Right. And until I decide it, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. So uh, 2020, I said, look, I got nothing but time, but I also have a second baby on, on the way. So uh, that time is going to be limited once mm -hmm. she's born. So I'm like, if there's a time to write a book, man, this is, this is a sign. I need to do this. You know, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a writer. I don't even think I would say I succeeded, you know, in school with writing all that much other than, you know, just getting through like most people. But I knew that I had experienced enough at that point. Um, through my experience at the Asbury, through my experience at the Reed's Days with Tell Emory and all these places that I could put some things on paper. So I started writing a book, no real structure, no real plan. And I did that for about two months and then scrapped it. And I said, this isn't working. It doesn't, it's not flowing. It doesn't make sense. What I started with and where I'm at now, it just doesn't go together. So I wound up doing what anybody does when they don't know the answer to something. And I Googled it. Oh. You know, one of the things, like I said to you earlier, you'll learn about me is that I'm very transparent. I want to share the value with you. Um, so through this process, I literally Googled like template for writing a book. And when I did that, I'm like, this is so much easier. 
right? So what it does, it, it basically broke out. What are the, what are the goals that you have for this book? What do you want the end result to be? And then what are the topics that are going to get you there? And then from those topics, what are the three, four, five things you want to talk about within those topics? And so when you start to look at a chapter uh, by itself and not the book as a whole, which, you know, this is a, a great example for life, right? You don't want to look at the end result of being a GM. You want to put the work in today for what you can get, you know, what will help you get there later. So I focused every day on one chapter and one topic, and that really allowed me to flow better because it was in a very consistent and structured way. And so as I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm creating this playbook for people about structure, about consistency, and I wasn't even using structure or consistency to create the book. So I thought that was kind of ironic. <laughs> yep. So so I get that template, I start to do it, and I wound up banging out pretty quick. I mean, you know, from writing a book standpoint, because it's not a novel and there's not characters and things that really get detailed, I was able to put the information on paper and get it done within like four months. And then from there, you know, I just asked people that I knew to, to edit it. You know, I'm not the best at punctuation. I wrote it like I would speak. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of errors. Um, but, you know, my stepmom is a former teacher and my wife is way better at grammar and things like that than I am. So I said, can you guys both look at it separately? Tell me what I can improve on. And so after a couple copies, of getting through that process, we got to the, the final result and that's where but there it is. Can, so I'm excited to, to ask a couple of questions here because, you know, sitting in hotels, we all like, Oh, we're going to write a book one day about all of these experiences and put it out sure. and crazy stories. And, you know, I love how you actually made something that has a mix of those stories, not the crazy stuff, but like there's some good yeah. actual stories that you can learn from. Um, and I think it's beneficial for any young leader and even for someone like me as an executive, I went through it and found mm -hmm. useful tools in there. Right. So I want to go back to when you started writing it, right? Cause it's a tough time, you know, the COVID layoff, we, a lot of us, I'd say 95% of us experienced right. you're sitting at your desk. I can kind of imagine, right. And you start like to think, all right, like that in the movies, the music starts playing and I'm going to start typing right. out a book and the, the paper starts hitting the floor if you had a typewriter, right? Right. You keep deleting things. Where did you just, was it, you just said, all right, I want to make a playbook. Was it in your head or I wanted to tell stories or I just wanted to help others or was it for yourself, right? Because like this podcast, I selfishly do for myself listeners. I know that you get some value from it, but what, what did you sure. find that you were doing it for? Definitely for the impact for others. Um, I think again, because I had seen the system that I had created for myself before work, Again, going back to how earlier in my career I was withholding information, as I've grown as a man, as a leader, you begin to realize that the more you give away, the better. And the more opportunity you give to others, the more opportunity you'll get, right? It's just like being kind to someone. If you're kind to everyone, that kindness will come back to you tenfold. And so right. my goal was to, you know, not to make money, but to make a difference. So as I started to put things together, I wanted to share my experience. And, and some of those experiences weren't good going through them, right? Like. Um, some of them were challenging and, and some of the things, decisions that I made, you know, whether it was someone else making them and I taught you through that story or it was something that I made, you know, going through those things weren't easy. Um, you know, coming to work every day and focusing on what I need to do, be lending to my office and not supporting my team and having them tell me that, you know, that hurt because I had an ego back then. Right. I don't, I don't think I have one now, but that hurt. Right. So I wanted to share those things so that other people could skip a couple steps because while I feel like I've learned a lot in a short period, as far as my career standpoint, I've always tried to make, you know, sort of the journey for others that are coming up behind me, just a little bit simpler, a little bit easier. And I felt like if I could put it on paper, 
I could get there. And one of the things that has shifted too, when I wrote the book, I said, the best way to get it out is to give it to Barnes and Nobles, have them push it and we'll be great, right? But what I realized, and again, this, this whole thing is a journey, right? Every, everything you do in your life is a journey. And, and I'm from Philly, so we trust the process, right? Yeah, trust the um, process, I love it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm trusting the process through this and I'm learning as I go, right? So when I push out the book, I'm thinking like another author would be is, I need to do a book signing. I need to get the book in Barnes and Noble, and bam, and all these other places. And that's gonna get me the exposure I need. But really, I'm really trying to talk to one group of people. It's my niche market, which is the hospitality group. So when I realized that no one's going to know who James Ferguson is, no one's going to care, no one's going to know to get my book and where to get it, I said, let me pivot. Let me say, let me look on LinkedIn to the people that I do know within the industry and, and give it to them. And I said, oh, wait, I'm getting some, some good feedback. People that really can use this are saying it's, it's making a difference. So I'm like, I need to grow that. And, and I think it's like any sales effort, right? You need to spend some money to, to earn some money. Um, and so I just continue to, you know, push it that way and, uh, and focus on the people that really need it, which is the people in our industry. And, and it's just, it's really organically grown. And, you know, I'm not sure if you've seen the post and, and I don't share a lot, but I do like to share the celebration of the journey. Um, in September, I was diagnosed with cancer. So, um, I went from putting it out last February, September of getting that diagnosis and you know it was testicular cancer um so it's a very aggressive treatment five days a week five hours a day you know that's sort of why i have another gap in my employment is because i had no choice and so i basically had to halt everything that i was working hard towards uh because i physically just could mentally couldn't do it anybody that's been through that that's listening you know it's it's the most challenging thing i've ever done in my life but on the flip side positive side today and you get to hear it first i got the news that i'm in remission Oh man. So, which awesome. is, which is amazing. So, um, but what I'm getting at is this, I basically, once I started to feel a little bit more like myself after treatment, which I've had surgery as well, I basically use LinkedIn as a tool. So anybody that's listening, that's looking to get more exposure and Steve, you know, this well, you've been doing a great job as well. LinkedIn is an amazing tool to get to the people you want to very fast uh, and very easily. Um, and I've really just been pushing it and organically it's continued to grow. So I feel very fortunate as far as where I am today, both in my life and with the book, because it's actually grown significantly more, um, in two months than it did in the six months that I had started and kind of had to stop at. So, um, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. And, and like I said, today I got some really good news, which is amazing. Yeah, I'm happy. Look, first, um, I did not know that. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think yeah. for everyone listening, you know, there's people who are going through it and it's a tough time. So like on the podcast, we just For had sure. a chef uh, who was one of my good friends who also shared that journey, right? He had cancer and it was tough. He had to get out and work and it just shows you to really appreciate what you got in your life. For and sure. I'm sure that you felt that way with kids and your wife and the journey yeah. of sharing things and getting things out there. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate yeah, and, you sharing you know, that especially, with us. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations, man. It's a great day. Thanks, man. Yeah. And hopefully your friend's doing doing better now. Yeah, he's getting back to it. But a similar thing, right? Employment it's gaps, a process, stopping the right? stuff and that you love, right? You can't do the yeah, things that you love. Yeah, it's and... definitely, it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, but like anything, and like I said, through my career, you kind of learn to take those things as opportunities and uh, we can all capitalize on it and seek the good. You know, that's one of the messages that I try to share through my journey um, through with cancer is that you know, there's a lot of things that are going wrong in your life all the time, right? Whether you, you know, pop a tire, whether you have a loved one that passed away, whether you lose a job, whatever it is, 
but there's always good within that journey. And a lot of times we get so focused on the bad that we don't see the good. And so one of the things that I challenged myself to do and wanted to encourage others to do through that process was to seek the good. And so while I had to say goodbye to the hospitality industry once again and, you know, battle this stuff and, you know, there was just so many good things that happened throughout that process that allowed me to still, um, you know, have some optimistic viewpoints and uh, continue to stay motivated. And uh, I just encourage, you know, anybody that might be going through something similar or anything challenging in your life, just remember to seek the good. It really, it really makes a positive difference. That's great advice for everyone really listening because we get stuck in that all the time. You know, I, I catch sure. myself. Everybody, myself, you know. My kids, my family, you get some of that stressful moment and then you just got to bring yourself back to, look, we're all good. There's a lot of bad in the world and 99% yeah. of us have it really good. And I'm happy that you're, you're cleared out through. So, you know, you've written this awesome book. You know, I'm happy that you shared that story because it really, I think, will connect with a lot of people. You know, the book, 10 chapters in it, easy to read. It's, like I said before, great manual for people. But would you tell people they have to read it all the way through? Can they just hop in and find the sections they need help with? How did you That's make That's a this? great question. So, and, and I, like I said, I read a lot of books, right? And I've always been the kind of person that skips the preface and the introduction. I always used to do that. And the reason is, is because I always feel like people put information they think others want to hear instead of use it to add value. And not to say that I'm, I made the best preface and intro ever, but I tried to use that process that made me avoid it in the past and create the value within those two chapters because um, it really helps to set the expectation for what is to come. And I really touch on how, you know, again, and not to give away too much, but it's, it's you know, about that consistency that you had at school and then also involving, you know, the, the leadership style that we learn as parents. And um, I think that really helps set up why what I talk about worked. And so I really challenge anybody that does pick up this book, uh, make sure that you read the intro, make sure you read the preface because it really sets up uh, the book well. It's true. And it's different because I started reading it. I was like, hold on, this is a different start than I expected it to be when you start talking about how we were raised right. and our parents and the effect they had on us and what our leaders need to be showing. So it was it was a different route than I expected to start. And it got me hooked and to continue reading through. So good job with that. So what is next for you now, James? You have this book out. What what are kind of the next moves for you in your career? You know, that's a great question. I think, you know, as I've been sort of waiting for the good news, which again, which today I came, today. that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I've kind of, again, proactively been preparing for the next opportunity. And there's two sides to that, right? The industry is starting to come back. And I think everybody is beginning to shift their mindset on employees and the value they bring and the value they need um, to stick around. And so, you know, I've been building sort of the business side of it from a consulting standpoint to prepare management teams to better their leadership and their culture, um, you know, one manager at a time. And so I'm building that, but also, you know, I had a conversation today um, with the president of a, a company and he basically said that a lot of his hotels are strapped for cash, right? So we are building back to where we were, but we're still, you know, catching up financially. And so with that, you know, his, his guidance was to maybe continue to build what you're doing now with the book and doing some speaking opportunities, doing podcasts uh, with people like you and just building the, um, the opportunity to have people listen and, and see it through and, and add value that way. Uh, but ultimately, the goal is to really begin to get out there. And I think that's going to kind of happen tail end of this year into next year, where I'll really basically work with GMs and departmental managers to improve everything within this book um, and really help them learn things that 
GMs don't have the time to, especially now, right? They don't have the resources, the time, the people that they used to, where they could really lead and have those one-on-ones and do a lot more in the past where now they're doing front desk shifts and covering other things. So um, I think we're almost to the point, even though I know people need it now, I don't think they can spend the money to get the added value for their teams. And so as people sort of budget out for next year and prepare for that, my goal is to be the go-to for that, support their teams and really start to add value to the people that deserve it. Um, And, you know, I talk about in the book, continued education is so key. Uh, it helps build retention with your team. If they can learn and grow within your organization, they're going to stick around. And so I, ho- I hope to be a catalyst to that uh, as we keep going forward. But I'm also considering being a GM again um, because I think there's a lot of opportunity. And, and you know, I did a post the other day that said everyone I'm talking to through sort of the interview process is saying all we need is strong leadership. If we can just get strong leadership, we'll be okay. And, you know, again, I've been in the corporate role and overseen GMs. I've, I've done all the ones in between. And there's something fun about being the guy that leads every day and has that huddle and gets the team together, gets them motivated and goes and executes with them and empowers them and enables them to be successful. So I'm kind of excited to get my hands dirty, especially for the long you know, journey I just had for a minute there. I was bedridden and, and struggling and, and now I'm getting back on my feet. So uh, I think in the short term, it's probably becoming a GM again. And long term is, is building the business out so I can really help on a larger scale for, for people that need it. Yeah, I love to hear that. That's a that's a great vision to have. Now, you know, kind of looking back, James. So you've had all this experience. You've just got the great news today. But if you could go back and talk to young James starting out at the front desk, hmm. right? What advice would you give him if he was just starting today? Hmm, that's a good question. I could tell you're getting good at this. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, it's funny, and and you know this as a parent. You know realistically, right. Even if I could go back and do that, I wouldn't have listened to me. Right. Just like we didn't listen to our parents when we were that age or anything else. But I think going back to what I said about my cancer journey and stuff like that is, is first it would be seek the good and continue to push. And and I talk about being all in, having an all in attitude. Cause again, sometimes we can get discouraged from other leaders, not doing what you think they should be doing, whether you're not getting supported or the raise you think you deserve, or you're getting beaten up by all the crazy guests that aren't having a good experience. And so we can get very discouraged in our industry as well. So I think, you know, again, seeking the good, seeking the opportunity, and then just continuing to go all in on what I believe in. And, and again, that process has been the same now, right? Again, I'm still learning to, to seek the good. I'm still trying to capitalize on those opportunities. And, you know, having an all-in attitude is, is really what it takes to be great. And, um, you know, I, I hope to continue to inspire people to, to think that way and do things that way. And, uh, yeah. I think it's a good spot to, to kind of wrap up. I think anyone's going to be lucky to have you as a leader. I can see it. You believe it. And, you know, a lot of people talk, but you actually walk the walk. So, James, where can people connect with you? I'm sure this is going to hit home with a lot of people and they're going to want to find you. How do they connect with you? What's the best place? The best way is just to go to the book's website. So if you go to the confetticulturepaybook.com, not only can you, you know, message me um, through that process, but you can also see you know, all the great people that have read the book and the value it's added to them if you're on the fence. Uh, but more importantly, on the website is you have a podcast that talks about the things in the book. A lot of people read a book and then aren't able to take notes. And so by driving into work and listening to the podcast, you can kind of get inspired and excited and motivated to go in that day. Uh, so I do recommend checking that out. And I'm actually going to be adding some interview style elements to the podcast soon. And, and um, you know, I have Charles Ryan Minton, who wrote uh, Thanks for Coming In Today. Uh, joining me uh, later this month. And I have some GMs that I've met through my career joining me as well. 
Um, so there's going to be a lot of added value uh, to learn more about culture and leadership at a time that needs it most. So that's exciting. And then the other part is the resources. So on the website, there's resources from the book. So the leadership review, um, there's the five piece proactive plan. Uh, there's also these uh, little reminders that you can put employees first wristbands. Um, so there's just a lot of added value on there from the book. Uh, so you don't have to take a picture of it with your phone. You can just download the PDF and start using it with your team. Because again, it's about giving it away and helping you be more successful because of it. I love it. Well, everyone check out the confetticulturepaybook.com. James, I'm very grateful that you shared your full story with us. I know it's going to hit home for a lot of people and I just appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. So thank you very much. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.